Hi everyone. Welcome to the Quantum Power Cafe. I hope everyone has had a blessed week and weekend so far. Um, and that everyone is staying safe out there with all the geoengineered weather events happening right now and staying safe. Uh, and for those of you who are tuning in for the first time, this is the Quantum Heart Cafe, and it's a show where I talk about uh, books and my love of books, and I relate them to uh, current events. The books I read are usually related to topics of spirituality, philosophy, colonization, and uh, the really important technologies that are being uh, pushed uh, right now, as well as topics on uh, emergence and just things that I find interesting and uh, things that I also hope are, are that are important. But then also finding like little like tidbits and pieces, words of wisdom and advice in the books I read and passing them along to the audience in hopes that uh, they might be helpful for people. So this is what this type of show is about. So I guess it's not really, it's hard to define it right now. I think I'm starting to kind of get an idea where I want to go with the show, but I know it's kind of like a general explanation about what the show is but it's just that kind of you know that you just have to kind of I figure you just kind of have to get started with something and then um you'll kind of get the see where it's supposed to go as you move along um you know there's the whole saying where faith without action is dead so I have faith that this is going to be an important show um and I have to act upon it <laughs> you know making sure I uh the with the books I read and just uh, passing along stuff that I feel is important, and I think that will be important, especially as we see the rollout of more and more uh, synthetic technologies. And if you don't understand what any of that stuff means, don't worry. Like this is what this show is about. It's kind of like um, the mix of a philosopher's cafe, a library, and a podcast. <laughs> I hope that helps. And so that's where. Um, the podcasts and the shows I make, I hope either are helpful or they will become helpful down the road, especially as humanity is confronted with these newer technologies like the token economics and so on and, and how we want to uh, respond to them and how we want to make sure to keep our being in the human being, our humanity. And that's kind of where the quantum heart uh, sort of comes in, like the remembering that we're we're soul beings, we're cosmic beings, even in the midst of all this, the matrix and all this crazy stuff going on right now. So that's kind of where I hope to fit in, uh, where I hope my show fits in, and I really hope that you get some get something out of today's show. And if you like it, please give it a thumbs up <laughs> and uh, consider sharing with your friends. And without further ado, I'm, I want to get into today's show. And before I do that, I usually like to talk, give a little bit of gratitude. Um, I think gratitude is so important and, and prayer. You know, whether or not you have a, a religious practice or a spiritual practice, like there is something uh, very healthy and profound about gratitude and uh, prayer. So I just wanted to say I, I am grateful for uh, just having 
healthy food, you know, having access to good water and nutrition and, um, and, you know, my heart goes out to the uh, people that are affected with these, you know, strange geoengineered uh, fires going on right now. There's a lot of spiritual significance behind the fires. I won't be able to go into that too much in today's show, but, you know, there's a lot going on. Um, you know, if a lot that the the Matrix really isn't talking about. So, uh, so my heart goes out to them. And yeah, I'm just grateful to have um, you know access to healthy food and good drinking water. And speaking of the cafe, I do enjoy drinking coffee. I haven't uh, had any like cool locally made coffee brews in a little while. Uh, hopefully next week I'm gonna get out to and you know go explore some more of the local cafes and see if I can find a nice coffee. And talk about that on my show uh, right now. I'm just, you know, still drinking the store-bought coffee because usually it's not, you know, it's not too bad. Um, and, you know, I will be talking about any sort of really cool teas, like healing teas or uh, other other drinks on the, the cafe. And so for today's show, uh, I'm going to be concluding the books. I've been doing a book series on... Uh, Emergence. The, that's the title of the book is Emergence by Stephen Johnson. And today I'm going to be concluding uh, the book. It's not a very, the conclusion wasn't a very long chapter. So this shouldn't be, um, this will be a bit of a shorter show. And next week, our next show, I'm going to be talking about B.F. Skinner's Beyond the Box. Um, or sorry, Beyond the Box. Uh, and it's a book about B.F. Skinner's uh, behaviorism and that's really important because I want to start talking about and exploring token economics but the history of token economics which came out of uh, psych um, mental it came out of psychology uh, especially behaviorism and it came out of uh, you know token economics was first from what I understand it was first used uh, with, with uh, schizophrenic patients and now there's this um, move towards using moving or moving society towards more of a token economic uh, basis and I guess in a way like I mean I'm going to talk more about this in the the next few shows but there's I feel like there's always been a token economics or like preludes to token economics and I'll I'll talk about that a bit and so it's going to change the nature which will change the, the nature of how we interact as a society um behavior in the book that I've been reading on uh on BF Skinner the author often talks about uh behaviorism as a behavior technology and that's sort of what token economics is. I mean, it is a behavior technology, and it's it's designed to have humanity move in a certain direction, which is like this collective uh, superorganism. So I am going to be talking about that quite a bit starting next week. But I just want to finish uh, Emergence and conclude with the last chapter, which is called uh, The Mind Readers. And then, you know, following... The chapter, the mind readers. Uh, Stephen does give a little bit of a conclusion. I'm not really go going to go too much into it. 
Uh, I'm just going to kind of wrap it up. You know, talk a little bit about the uh, chapter on, called Mind on Mind Readers and then wrap up the show. Uh, so Stephen begins this chapter by talking about, um, he quotes how when monkeys see, uh, monkeys do phenomenon where our neurons will fire when we detect a state in another person. Uh, therefore, he thinks we have uh, a module for mind reading. And module, modularism and the idea of something of a module is really, I'm starting to learn. I've been uh, listening to Alison McDowell's work. And if you want to learn more about, um, you know, token economics and emergence and behaviorism and so on as well, like I'm going to link uh, a few other resources uh, and then you in the the show description like uh, Allison has a a blog called called wrench in the gears and she's done a, a phenomenal amount of research on what's kind of like the rollout of these behavior technologies in web 3 and how um, and kind of what's going on with uh, emergence and complexity theory and how that relates to the wider society and where, you know, the system, this, I know John Trudeau talks about as a predatory system, uh, the system wants to move and be an engine behavior with behavior engineering. It wants to move humanity towards uh, this kind of collective super organism, like a hive mind kind of. So I'm going to link to her blog and then there's a few other, uh, really good writers and researchers, and I'll ha I'll provide all that um, additional information for people who are interested. And then Stephen Johnson continues by talking about um, a mirror neuron, uh, and it's a neuron that fires when an organism acts, um, and when the organism observes the same action performed by another person or another monkey or another being. Uh, so that's the neuro neuron neuron mirrors the behavior of the other as through the observer or as though the observer were itself acting i got this this uh, description from wikipedia so in a nutshell it's just talking about how our mirror neurons will fire when we observe um another person or another being doing the same action so if a monkey um, observe an, observes another monkey doing a particular task that is trying to learn, then it'll copy what the other monkey is trying to do. I hope that makes sense, but there's this whole theory of mind that I've been learning about over the last couple of days where uh, researchers, um, <clears throat> and it's especially they're especially working with kids, and I suspect there's a very good reason for that because they want to um, indoctrinate kids with and have them from an early age thinking in terms of systems theory and emergence which is why video games and uh, other sort of complexity games are really important like a lot of video games now have complexity and emergence built into them and that's so that kids become normalized to thinking in that sort of way, like thinking in terms of a system, systemic way, and also 
disrupting the natural connection that children have with the natural world so that they can place themselves uh, in between the natural world and us because they, when I say they, I I mean the people who are, um, I mean the system itself, like it, 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 it's, it wants to place itself between the universe, creator, or God, and us. So they can kind of become the the creator, if you will. And I know that sounds kind of strange, but it's true. And this is why they're doing a lot of that um, research. And with kids, they want to learn. Not only do they want to indoctrinate kids with emergent thinking, but I also think they want to try and harness kids' uh, inherent creativity and imagination and adults have it to a degree still but kids just more so um and they really want to use that because ai can only do so much when it comes to novel thinking like lateral thinking and so on and and using imagination and creativity it's not there yet so i think there's a lot of researchers Uh, especially with the Santa Fe Institute, that are really interested in understanding that theory of mind and understanding the intuition and imagination of kids so that they can harness that to build out their, you know, super organism or hive mind, if you will. Uh, So understanding mirror neurons and, and studying mirror neurons is uh, important for theory of mind because theory of mind talks about when kids are able to understand the thinking of another person so they're able to understand that maybe people think like they do or that people may have different perceptions than they do so that kids learn to start emphasize uh, emphasizing and start to learn to try and understand how other people are uh, think and, and act and then they can kind of act accordingly but also to like how they can have their perceptions changed and manipulated like there was one lady her name is Allison Gop- Gopnik I think I said her name I don't know if I said her name right her last name anyway um, but she was doing an experiment because she's she really is she's one of the people who are exploring theory of mind with kids and she did an experiment where she gave kids a box of candy. I think it was like a Smarties. Um, so, you know, the kids assumed that there would be candy in the box, but she didn't tell them that instead of candy, there's pencils in there. And so they, when the kids opened the candy, you know, instead of finding the Smarties, they found a bunch of pencils. And so, and then she would ask them about their thoughts and reactions to it. And so they would say, and then the kids would say, like, oh, we always knew there, there were pencils in the box before we opened it. <laughs> or the kids would be like, oh, I thought there was candies, but now I guess there's pencils in the box. Um, so you see how, like, a kid kids' per- perceptions can be changed. And that kind of makes me concerned a bit, too, because then it would be really easy to manipulate and think and kind of lead kids to think in a certain way and I think that's what you know certain researchers and certain people are really interested in is having people th- or having kids thinking that um, you know artificial emergence and complexity theory 
and all this technology all over the place, like gathering data and, and synthetic biology, like there's just so much. Um, having kids think that that's normal, that having not having a connection with the natural world is normal. So, um, yeah, mirror, mirror neurons and the theory of mind is really important to understand, and I'm going to be learning more about that uh, as I do this research. And I think that's probably why Stephen Johnson titled the last chapter in the book Mind Readers, because that's pretty much like that theory of mind and neurons is a really important part of emergence and uh, complexity theory. And uh, Stephen then continues to, to he, uh, he keeps going by saying that people can't stop back and reflect on our thoughts without stopping, stepping back and realizing their thoughts are finite. Um, and that's saying that, and then they, and learning that other combination of thoughts are possible. So I, I think what he's saying is that um, we can't stop, step back and reflect on our thoughts without thinking about other people. And I, I guess that's true, especially because we're social beings. I mean, I, I'd agree with that. Because um, I guess when we're doing, I mean, for me, when I'm doing self-reflection, I do often think about how other people, what other people are thinking sometimes too. Um, okay, and then he continues by talking about mirror neurons and other mental states. So uh, without understanding our limits uh, in the with the world around, with the world and us as individuals will be indistinguishable. So I think what he was pretty much saying there as well, uh, without understanding that we have limitations between us and the, exter the external world, like we wouldn't be able to distinguish the two of them. So without understanding that we have our own private internal thoughts and then knowing that there's also an external world, it would be hard to distinguish between the, b b distinguish, um, distinguish them from each other. I don't know about that. Like I, there is that saying in uh, spirituality, like as above, so below, as within, so without. And what that means is that like our internal world does affect our external world and vice versa. The external world does affect our internal world. And it doesn't mean that we aren't individuals or we don't have individual personalities. We do. Um, just that there is a, a relationship there. So what we do on the inside, the inner work that we do as spiritual beings, it does have an effect on the outer world, right? And then the outer world does have an effect on the inner world or our inner worlds as well. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, being able to distinguish between our inner world and outer world is important. But I think for me, as I've done spiritual work, and as I learn spiritual concepts, I find that the world kind of reflects that reflects that back to me. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I know I, I'm an individual person, um, but I also know that there is a permeability with the external world and myself, and that uh, it's the external was it, world is within me, 
and I'm within the external world. <laughs> Um, and then Stephen talks about how it's only when we speculate about the mental life of others that we become aware of our own mental life. Um, and we track the behavior of dozens of individuals and adjust our own behavior accordingly. Stephen uh, then talks about how he thinks we evolved the mind reading ability because of competition and natural selection. And according to anthropology, we can build theories of other minds as long as there is less than 150 of them. Um, and then Stephen argues that with engineered cities, we have moved beyond 150 minds um, thanks to technology, as well as the building of neighborhoods, uh, which have groups within groups. And that's really important, those groups within groups, because, um, you know, with in this sort of hive mind thing that they want to build, you will still have a degree of individuality, but you'll be nested within a group, which will be nested in a group, which will be nested in another group, and then all the way to include this global superorganism. I think that's kind of what he's alluding to when he talks about how, um, you know, back in the day, we used to be able to build theories of minds about our neighbors and family members and communities of up to 150 members and then we'd be able to act accordingly um, as you know part of a, a community or as an individual that's a part of a community but now thanks to smart cities and the the sensor networks and so on he's talking about how we potentially can mind read not 150 minds but thousands of minds and that you know within neighborhoods you'll have groups of people clustered within groups uh, and then they'll be clustered in groups and those clusters will um, like a kind of like a top topology if you think of a map a topo topology map where it has different layers um, those groups would be nested within each other so there'll be layers and layers and layers of groups until you get to like the the big superorganism or hive mind type group. So, I mean, yeah, there probably would be a degree, a small degree of individuality, but you'll still be within um, a group, like a, a group mind, even if it's small, a very small group, like maybe it's just like your neighbors or even your family members, but they'll still be, you'll still be nested underneath the the superorganism like eventually you'd reach the eventually at the very top there'd be the superorganism and then all the other groups kind of trickle down from that if i hope that makes sense and then he continues by saying um steven doesn't know how higher level behavior happens but he knows it comes from the thousands of interactions of unwitting agents. So in systems theory and emergence or artificial emergence, human beings are often, or other animals, like it's not just, excuse me, they're not just looking at the human beings, like they're looking at all life on earth and wanting to include that in some sort of like superorganism. So when he says agents, that means instead of like individual beings, uh, individual human beings or animals, 
we're just individual agents acting within within and on behalf of the system. Um, and then, of course, there'll, there'd be uh, feedback built into that. Uh, he thinks that our self-awareness comes from predicting other brains and that natural selection and emergence has enabled us to predict and speculate both our inner workings and the inner workings of others. Uh, he thinks that as cities become more complex, new ways to deal with that complexity will come from emergence. Uh, he thinks the internet has added layer another layer of complexity because of the billions of people connected online. Uh, and he thinks that technologies from Web3 will enable them to manage that complexity. And I think that's pretty much what they want is to be able to manage and control artificial emergence. Uh, and then by managing and controlling artificial emergence, they can then socially engineer life on Earth to develop into this superorganism. <laughs> I know that sounds so sci-fi and strange, but it's true. That's what they want. And I don't think that they're going to succeed at it because, again, like the universe is a little more uh, complicated than they think. Uh, but it's good to be aware of this because they are attempting to roll it out. So if we're aware of it, then we can, you know, find ways to say, uh, no, thanks. <laughs> we're not... I don't want to be part of a hive mind. Um, and the only way to do that is to kind of be aware of what's going on. Um, okay, and now Stephen uh, says that they are now developing software to predict the theory of our mind, so tracking us and measuring our behavior against the populations. Um, we will interact with a media that will supposedly know us in some fundamental way and apply complexity theory for us. And in a way, I guess that is already happening. I mean, if you are on YouTube or Google or anything like that, and you've noticed that the algorithm has tailored uh, searches and recommendations based on our habits and what we've clicked on and what we've, um, you know, the media that we've, or media content that we have uh, been interacting with and the, the music and, you know, I guess if you watch influencers and so on, just like what content we interact with on a daily basis. And so the algorithm has learned that and his recommends and tailors content towards that. And to me, in a way that is sort of learning the theory of our, of our minds and how we think. Uh, and then the Web3 software will be software that uses tools of self-organization to build models of us as individuals and our mental states. Um, they might not be self-aware, but they will be mind readers. And that's really and that goes back to the theory of mind and sort of predicting how other minds work. Uh, and then, I mean, if they can predict our minds and they can learn how our minds work, then it's not really... It's a pretty quick step to then manipulating and trying to, uh, in a way, steer and control that state of mind, right? Like there's a lot of, a lot going on within like health and wellness and, you know, those like, I feel like the fitness trackers and stuff like that, like Fitbits are sort of a precursor to that, like being able to monitor our heart and monitor 
I think there was a commercial I saw for a Fitbit that was monitoring brain waves, maybe. So if it can monitor our states and our brain waves and collect all that data, then it then you know they can make a pretty intimate database about our mind and how we think, and then use subtle ways to manipulate that. So I mean, if you have these devices, I would just be really careful about how you interact with them. And I mean, I just encourage you not to. But either way, like eventually, they're moving more towards bio, a biosynthetic computing where it won't be on a computer screen, like on a smartphone screen, but more so integrated into the environment. Like there'll be sensors all over the place. So, you know, it won't be necessary to have a computer screen or a, uh, like a smartphone with a screen or those watches, because if they have soft or sensors all over the place, then they don't really need screens. So the idea of com of a computer desktop or laptop or tablet, um, you know, they, they really want to change that and move more towards like a sensor-based network and biosensors too. So uh, yeah, and if they can do the biosensors and the networks like that, then they can easily keep an eye on our state states of mind and uh, collect that kind of data on us. And so I just encourage you to ask yourself, is that something that you would like? Is that sort of, you know, having, you know, you never have a break to your, you never have a thought to yourself. You're always monitored and watched by these sensors. And, you know, if you're having a bad day, they just throw a dopamine hit at you or something instead of just being able to work through whatever it is that you're working through. So... You know, the whole idea of privacy and stuff is, um, it would be very different in that kind of sensor-based, especially biosensor-based uh, world because, you know, you won't really have much privacy in a hive mind world. Or at least I don't think you will. Like, you won't really have any thoughts to yourself. And for me, I like having thoughts to myself. <laughs> um... And then he thinks that the current desktop will go the way of the dodo bird. Uh, what replaces it will evolve and adapt to individuals and their mental states. And as I was just talking about, that's kind of like that sensor network that would follow us all over the place. Um, and even the desktop interface was based on uh, human minds in general, but not a specific mind. Mind. So now the new interfaces are envisioned to be tailored to a specific person. So again, they can have a specific um, theory of mind, or which is tailored towards you, rather than towards a general population. And then we will have personalized tools created by people all over the world, and these personalized tools will again be used to kind of collect our data and understand who we are as individuals. And then if they understand who we are as individuals, then they can kind of steer us in the direction that they want to go or that they want us to go in. Um, and then Stephen thinks that uh, capturing emergence in code will be close to, will be a, another big revolution, um, the same sort of revolution that was created by distributed industrial electricity. 
So it's a big deal when they can capture emergence in, in the algorithm and computer code. Um, applied emergence will go beyond user-friendly applications and change our habitual assumptions about public and private life. And again, that's what I'm, I'm talking about, like with the artificial emergence and all these sensor networks, it will greatly blur the lines between public and private life. And in, in a way it kind of already does, especially if you have a smartphone, you know, like all this technology that we have is, I know it's very convenient. It's also a dual purpose technology. A lot of it came out of the military. So while, yeah, smartphones are convenient, I, I have a smartphone. I, I use it only when I have to, if I, if I can. Um, but I also know that uh, if I have it with me, even if it's turned off, that that thing is still monitoring and checking or tracking what I'm doing. And I know I was having a conversation with someone the other day and my phone was off, but, you know, after the conversation and when I went on to YouTube, I started seeing ads advertisements for what I saw for what I was talking about with with that person um so again you're not uh even with the current technology we have it's you know we I mean you still have a degree of privacy but not as much as we think we do and I know some people are like oh it's not a big deal I don't know I don't care if the government knows what I'm doing well you might care if the government knows what your thoughts and feelings are and you might care if you if the government can then find ways to manipulate your thoughts and feelings i mean it's not just the government large corporations and organized religion and all sorts of institutions are in on it but just using the government as an example um and then stephen then talks about you know our tvs refrigerators and other smart device Smart devices or smart appliances might not be self-aware yet, but they will know what we are thinking about. That's comforting. <laughs> and it's true. Like a lot of these, I used to work in construction high-rise a couple of years ago, and I did notice that they were putting more surveillance cameras in the halls and more sensors and, and smart appliances in these newer condos, which are pretty tiny anyway, so there's not much like space for you to have any private time without either there being a window or a screen or a sensor somewhere um so yeah they're all over the place <laughs> they're putting them into a lot of the old the newer buildings and I think part of the reason why they're going after older condos and older apartments is not not just because they would be very cheap and easy to build these new towers on but also the older tech the older apartments and stuff they don't really have all this technology in them and they had a lot more privacy like the older wood frame buildings like they tend they tended to be a lot bigger and there was a lot more privacy you know there was there wasn't like a huge like you were surrounded by these glass windows but you know it was actually like livable and you had your own kind of private life in there but now that's changing with these big towers that they're putting in, at least in my city. I think they might be doing the same thing other places, but, you know. <clears throat> and I think I'm just going to conclude it now. I did have a couple more things, but unfortunately I can't have a long show today. Uh, so I'll have to 
leave it there, but I highly recommend reading the book. But before, um, so I'm just going to conclude one more. I have some notes and slides that I created. So I have one more slide that I created. Uh, so I'll just read a little bit of that. Uh, so it, it talks, Stephen talks about clusters and emergence um, often throughout the book. Like there was a whole chapter that was devoted to like, um, how clusters of people or, or clusters of ants or other animals provides data, provides more data on emergence and like the, the higher level behavior that comes from, that comes when there's large, a number of individuals interacting within a group. So there, those who are studying complexity theory and artificial um, emergence are really interested in clusters and in uh, having thousands of people or tens of thousands of people even interacting with each other because then they can analyze that data and find the higher level patterns that would lead to the, the emergence of like a super organism or a super uh, being of some kind. Um, so Stephen thinks that the web will provide, provide the metadata that lets clusters of people and groups self-organize uh, under the control of AI and a superorganism, of course. Uh, the clusters will build a theory of individual minds and will be a group project assembled via the web. So if the clusters are understand individual theory or individual minds within that cluster, then it stands to reason, like this is just me talking out loud, but it stands to reason then that they would be able to uh, manipulate or control or nudge those individual minds towards assembling into a higher level conscious or some sort of hive mind when it needed to. And in the book, um, in earlier chapters, Stephen talked about slime mold cells. Like slime mold and ants are two species that... Um, complexity theorists and people who are studying artificial emergence are really interested in because they want to model human society based on them. And with slime mold cells, what happens is that um, if, let's say, an individual slime mold cell finds food, they'll send signals like pheromones out, and eventually other individual slime mold cells will find that pheromone trail and uh, will join up with the uh, slime mold cell that kind of uh, was the first one to leave a signal. And eventually when enough slime mold cells uh, get together, they, they created like a super organism that would then eat the food. And then once the food was gone, once that stim stimulus was gone, then the slime mold cells would um, go back to being individuals, like the the superorganism would then disperse, and then the individual slime mold cells would just go on their way. And I think that's kind of maybe the the model that the these systems analysts and stuff want to use for for life. That maybe as individuals we're going about our daily business, and then some stimulus comes, and we create we become a a superorganism within a group, uh, and then if they, if the cluster knows 
or understands the theory of mind of the individuals within that cluster, then they could easily nudge them towards forming into a, a group mind. <laughs> and then maybe once that task or whatever, or the stimulus is finished, then the, the individual people would then disperse and then go on their daily lives. I don't know. That's just a thought um, that I just had. And then uh, Stephen uh, kind of finishes off by saying, our patterns of behavior will be exposed to the public space of the web. Um, he And he does ask the question if there will be a global brain in our future and if we will recognize ourselves in it when it arrives. So <coughs> that would be like the fourth phase of emergence, which would be the global brain that I've talked about in other shows and Alison McDowell has talked about and a few other researchers have talked about this. Uh, and he doesn't know, and he's concluded the book by saying he didn't really know what would happen after the phase transition. We just have to find out. And I disagree with you, Stephen. I don't think we need to find out. I don't think we, we may not want to find out. Um, what would happen if we merge into some global super hive mind or when we try to control the world's soul or the nosphere for our own selfish purposes. But anyway, so that was the book on emergence. I, I, it's a really good book. It's a very good book for kind of like a foundational text towards understanding what is happening in the, in the world right now. Because a lot of this whatever, a lot of what's happening is very narrative-based. Uh, and I think it's also important, especially as we move into the age of Aquarius, to understand that where warfare has changed. Like, the nature of warfare isn't really about land-based battles where you have, like, two big armies and they're going at each other. Um, and it's very land-based, because before... Aquarius, it was Capricorn, especially like Saturn, when Saturn moved in and was in Capricorn for the, the longest time, you know, that's when you saw a lot of like land wars, like World War One and World War, World War Two, which was very land based, like air and sea were supportive. They weren't really the the main focus, the, ar the army was. Um, and now that's changed now and I think even the the prophet Edgar Casey talked about this how with the age of Aquarius approaching uh, a lot of warfare will happen over like radio waves and frequency and the mind space the mind space I mean uh, aerospace and just the air electricity and so on because Aquarius rules those things so for it's, I think it's really important to become aware of that and aware of our own thoughts and our own feelings and aware about how they can be manipulated and nudged and pushed in a direction that we might not be aware of until it's too late. So I just want to leave it to that. I know that's kind of somber, but, um, but I also want to say that I don't think it'll work. <laughs> like, I think that love will win like love is one of the strongest forces in the universe uh 
And what we need to do, I think, or probably what we need to do is the is just understanding what's going on and understanding this artificial emergence that is trying to manifest and and their these intentions for humanity and for living beings on earth and i think by understanding that we can start having conversations about what we can do about it because i I don't think it's going to work like i don't think this artificial emergence is going to work but they're going to try and my concern is that people especially children are going to get hurt because of their ignorance and it doesn't have to be that way so that's why I created this show and I think that's probably where I'm going to leave off for today I I hope that uh, people enjoyed the show and enjoyed um, uh, listening to today's show like I said if you like what you heard please consider giving uh, a like and uh, sharing with your friends and I will leave some additional resources if you want to read and uh, kind of learn about what's going on if you're curious. And I hope that everyone has a blessed day and a blessed week and, uh, and a heartfelt week. And thank you for stopping by the Quantum Heart Cafe. Okay, bye-bye.